Right, hello and welcome back to another Villa on Tour podcast where, of course, today we're going to chat over our trip to the Etihad, our perspective from the away end, of course, the third kit curse strikes again. I am joined by Simon. How are you today, mate? Yeah, I'm good. Not too bad. Uh, just reflecting on yesterday and just wishing we had a better record at Man City. I'm just fed up of going there and losing every season, really. But yeah, onwards and upwards. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? The, when was the last time we won there? What, 2007, was it? Sean Maloney, was it then? Yeah, the la- yeah, last time we won there was in the league was 2007. We've only won twice um, altogether since the since the stadium was built. That was 2003. We, we, we beat him in the Cup in 2012. I think it was the League yeah. Cup under Lambert. But yeah, we won two games out of all those times. And uh, I've been most times, to be honest with you, since 2003. And yet, the two times I didn't go was the two times we won. <laughs> and every other time I've seen us lose. So... Not great at all. I really, I really dislike going there. To be honest with you, um, I just, I just wish it was. I just wish it was so much better. It's a dire record, isn't it? A dire, dire record. It's not much better at home, is it? I mean, when was it? I mean, it was twenty thirteen. Was it last time we beat them? I can't remember the the time before that. It's really not great. Um, but it, we'll we'll get onto that in a minute. We we had a nice weekend, didn't we? Went to people might have seen it on our socials. Went to uh, Milan on Friday morning. Woke up at two a.m. to go to Milan. The whole trip was based around going to the San Siro because, of course. They are knocking it down. Originally, they said they were going to knock it down in 2024. I think you were telling me that they're uh, keeping up because they want to host the Winter Olympics in 2026. Yeah. So it is going to stand for a little bit longer than we first thought. But there's great experience, wasn't it, Milan? I don't think it's the most touristy city in Italy, but it's a great experience. Cathedral was unbelievable. And the San Siro is a level above, isn't it? It's a joke. Like My jaw was on the floor when we came out the metro and saw the San Siro. Genuinely, bucket list off. It's sensational, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, I think Milan is it's good for a short trip, isn't it? I don't think you'd, you'd want to go for any longer than a couple of days, two or three days sort of thing, because there's not there's not like masses and masses of things to do as a tourist, I, I didn't think, but um, but our trip was centred around going to the San Siro, and yeah, it was incredible, wasn't it? I, I think I said, walking out the the metro station, didn't I, that it just gave me like pure sort of FIFA 98, FIFA 99 mm. vibes, that's what it just reminded me of, just, just seeing the stadium, it was so iconic and he's so iconic it could do with a little bit of tlc obviously that's not going to happen because obviously the, the, they're going to knock it down but um yeah there was areas which were a little bit rough like the toilets and um a few of the a few of the other bits but um overall it's just an iconic stadium isn't it and uh yeah the match wasn't wasn't great but we did see a goal um and that was positive it was a really good trip it's like you're stepping back in time isn't it weirdly like it, it just feels like you're going to a 90s sort of game with the facilities you've touched on there they were pretty pretty horrible yeah um i just wish the quality of football was better because in syria these days the football ain't great i think ac milan lost their last uh four games prior to to friday night's game uh, but luckily it had nil nil written over it that game they were playing Torino. had nil nil written all over it thank god olivier Giroud pops up with a header and we did see a goal but we'll move on from that please do stay tuned on the villain tour youtube channel actually because there will be a video from that trip to milan but enough of chatting about that let's move on to the city game We've already touched on Villa's pretty horrendous record against Man City, but Emery's got an even worse one against Guardiola, it looks like. I think he's faced him 11, 12 times. Never beaten him. Of course, it's because Guardiola, whatever league he's in, of course, has to have the best team there is. But yeah, it, it wasn't great going into this game, was it? And it was made worse by, I think we were literally just arriving at the Etihad on the coach when team news came out. No Mings, but McGinn, Duran are on the bench. Uh, Sinisalo and Zaysh both on the bench. Two goalkeepers there. Uh, Swinkles on the bench as well. But Minks was the one, wasn't it? That was that was worrying before we'd even got to the stadium. Whenever you go into City, it's always a really, really tough ask, a very sort of slim chance of you uh, picking up a win. But if you arrive there and you're and your sort of leader, your sort of best centre half is isn't in the team, um, 
you know, it's, it's always going to be an uphill battle, and that's what it proved to be. Really, I, just, I think sometimes we we home in on Ming's mistakes, and he, he does make mistakes. Of course, he does, and there's times when you think he he could have done better. And I think we we spoke about that on the podcast after the Leicester game. There was there was elements of his defending which could have been improved, but for me, it's his leadership skills though, and it's that when he's not on the pitch, we don't look very organised at the back. Um, and the first half really, really showed that yesterday. Yeah, I mean, no Mings, no leader. Bournemouth away, I think first game, obviously, Gerrard left him out. That proved to be the worst decision there was. I think even going back a few managers, Smith, remember in one of his, I think it was the last, you know, loss out of five it was, five in a row, or the second last, sorry, because the last one was Southampton, the West Ham game at home. He completely panicked Smith, left Mings out the side, and we got battered 4-1 at Villa Park. And I'm not, I don't want to talk about Mings as some sort of Brazy or Beckenbauer or the best centre-back you've ever seen. No, but like you said, it's it's that leadership skills, and we are so all at sea whenever he doesn't play, and it's so obvious when he doesn't play. I mean, look at the first goal. It's you, you don't want to go to Man City. We all expected a really tough game. Obviously, it would have taken something incredible to to, to take a win there. Of course, it would. But if you're if you're conceding within four minutes to a goal from a header. It's just easy, isn't it? And you go one 0 down early, and it sort of sets sets the game up from there, doesn't it? In a in a really bad way, but you don't want to concede that early to a really really terrible goal. Yeah, I think I think on the Mings thing, I think it's not about us sort of making out like he's a Barrazzi or Beckenbauer. I think it's about highlighting that without Mings, we don't have any, any real sort of obvious leaders within the side. I think hopefully that hopefully Diego Carlos becomes that. You know, when when he's back fit, hopefully he does. Mm. But it's it's not enough in a squad to only have. Sort of one or you know you, you could push Martinez into that category maybe McGeehan at times I don't know but he's not quite a a leader in the obvious sense is he and so um, I just don't think we have enough leaders in the squad you take Mings out and straight away it's like our organisation our structure sort of disappears and um, I thought Chambers really really struggled in that first half and yeah. I think to his credit I think he you know he he was probably rusty he hasn't played a lot of football and that does have an impact but. He did look. He did look particularly poor in that first half, and obviously we got better as the game went on. Second half, we were we were okay, and you know it was different. But there was there was other reasons in play for that. Um, but yeah, that first goal was just particularly poor, and it was disappointing really because we'd actually started the game okay. The first five minutes or so, we um, we were okay. We got on the ball and we got forward a bit, and Bailey had that run and a sort of half opportunity kind of thing in the opening five, and then we went. Obviously, they went down the other end. They won the corner, and. Um, and yeah, it was basics, wasn't it? It wasn't picking up your, your your man at the near post, and then the goalkeeper probably a little bit questionable as well. It wasn't a particularly brilliant header, um, and yet it still found its way into the back of the net. And so you don't want to be going one or down after four minutes away at Man City because if you do, then it's just a it's just an up battle, isn't it? Straight away, it's a free header, it's a free run. I think Kamara was meant to be the one who was marking Rodri, and Rodri. We talked about it in the podcast, didn't we? The, the previous one in the run up to the Man City game mm. loves a goal against Villa. Like these players don't score buckets of goals, but whenever they do, it always seems to be against Villa, doesn't it? He's got an unbelievable goal uh, goal record against Villa. Rodri has, and it's just so frustrating. I said it at the time, though. Do you not? I don't know where this sort of trend has come from, where pl- people don't put players on the posts anymore. Like, I, I kind of get it. You want to have those players, you know, rocking around in the box and not having a bit more impact on the game. But I just think so many more goals could be prevented if you just stick a couple of people on the post. And yeah, you're right, though. Like, Martinez probably should have done a little bit better. He kind of fell back into the goal. 
but it could have just been prevented by putting someone on the goal line. Do you not think? Yeah, you don't you don't see it very often anymore, do you? And I think I've, I don't know whether some of it's because we've moved away from man marking to zonal marking, and so it's all a bit. I mean, most most teams practice zonal marking these days. You don't get many teams doing man marking, which is usually where the man on the post usually usually came from. So yeah, you're right though. It could, it could be it could be prevented if you had somebody on the line, I suppose. But then I suppose you. You could say that you're then leaving an open gap for somebody else to to, to get a header on goal. I don't know. Like, it doesn't matter. We do that anyway. We let players have free runs anyway. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, we do. But it's. I mean, our set pieces. It's not. I mean, I was. I, was, I saw, saw a stat saying only Bournemouth have conceded more more goals from set pieces than Villa, which is it's a shocking stat really when you think about it. Mm. It's a really really poor stat, especially when we talk about how. We've got a set piece coach. I don't know whether he work, just works on attacking elements or defending as well. I'm not actually too sure, but um, if he does work on defending elements, well, it's not quite working at the moment, is it? Because to be second after Bournemouth, who are one of the worst sides in the league, is really not particularly great. And so, yeah, it started off on a really, really bad note, didn't it? And I think we're all just sort of standing in that away and thinking, oh, here we, here we go again. Yeah, it wasn't good enough. And another stat to sort of back that up was no team has conceded more goals in the opening 15 minutes of Premier League games this season than Aston Villa with eight. So, you know, you talk about these stats, about the set pieces, stats and conceding early goals. And yeah, we, we like to score an early goal as well, but it doesn't you don't we don't help ourselves, do we? We need to cut these sort of bad habits out of our game. And yes, that'll come with time, but it's just silly, isn't it? It's silly at this point. Um Man City had a few more chances to be fair. I think Grealish had a volley, didn't he? It was similar to that one that he uh, scored for us against Derby. Yeah. Um obviously that wheel and assist. So I had flashbacks of that. I think they were appealing for a handball from that because it came off chambers. But of course they absolutely were. no chance. Yeah, of course. They're just screaming for everything of course they, they were yeah. every every decision every even throwing throw-ins the screaming at the referee for it every single decision it gets boring in the end doesn't it, it rubs off on the referees though it actually rubs off on them you can yeah, see though they're pushing yeah. it they, they know what they're doing what do you make of Grealish then in this game because Villa fans were booing him I, I wasn't really on board with that it didn't really make a difference um, but he kind of looks like he's finding his feet at City now doesn't he he's, he sort of made that left hand side his own I thought he had a decent game I think he was he was good against Tottenham last week for Man City and like I said that, that left hand side is his now for City. I think he had a decent game. He had a couple of chances uh, to score. I think Martinez made a really good save when Grealish does that sort of typical cut inside and goes for that top corner. But I think he had a good game yesterday. He, he was good. I don't. I think he's starting to sort of show some of what he used to do at Villa. I don't think it's quite there. You don't see him running at teams like he used to at Villa. I still don't think he does that as often. But he started to do it a little bit more for City, whether Pep sort of allowed him to do that more. Um, it'll just be interesting to see if he if he keeps his place on a regular basis because obviously Foden was always Guardiola's go-to, wasn't he, at City? Mm. And so obviously with his injury, it's allowed Grealish to sort of cement a place in the team in, the, in recent weeks. But um, without being absolutely spectacular, I don't think. I think he just did what he needed to do. But I suppose, again, from a £100 million player, you, you kind of expect it, wouldn't you? I think, yeah, he's finding his feet, unfortunately, as, as much as many people might not like to see it. Fair play to him. We'll, we'll talk about, obviously, his, his antics later on in the first half a little bit later. We probably should have conceded again from a corner. Um, I think it was Haaland that completely miscues it. He probably should have scored again. Comes on there being no leader in the box from a set piece. But just in general, though, do you not think they were, they were just walking through our team far too easily? And against, you know, away from home, we talked about it previously that we've, we've looked okay away from home, but it was just far too easy against Man City. And we were we were a little bit scared of them. I said it in the video on the channel that I thought we were a little bit scared uh, to go up against them. And we kind of looked like we were defeated without a ball even being kicked. I don't know. I just think we should have been hard to beat. And it was just far, far too easily, especially in the midfield for Man City yesterday. Again, I think I go back to the, the fact that we, weren't, we didn't look very organised 
times though. I, th- I think mm. I said to you a couple of times that um, you know Louise and Kamara dropped off and they were running you know straight for our central midfield and there was the times when you saw like Digne arguing with like Chambers and then the yeah. other players and there wasn't. It just felt like there wasn't that organisation there and that's it felt to me that's why sort of City did carve us open so many times, especially through that middle because um, we didn't have that usual person at the back you sort of get to see in those positions i think if you watch mings for a game i think um you 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 watch him and he's and he's organizing everybody he's telling everybody where to stand um rightly or wrong probably wrongly really because we, we need more we need more players to be able to do that we can't rely on one player to do that and he he really does take the mantle on for that um and so yesterday for me we especially in the first half we 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 were far too wide open. We weren't organised enough. We weren't working hard enough to, to to get the ball back or get back into position. And it really showed that first half. And I think the manager must have had a word at half time because that did change in the second half. Our organisation got a lot mm. better. Don't I don't think City were at full thrust or second half. They definitely weren't. But um, you could tell our organisation and structures were a lot lot better in the second half. Well, I could definitely notice it from the away end. Like countless times, there was players like arguing between themselves and pointing and saying, "Oh, you should have been yeah. there. You should have been there." And you know, I don't want to come across as everybody knows that me and you like Tyrone Mings, and we're not talking about him like he's this sensational footballer. It's just the fact that when he's not there. It's so obvious. Um, and yeah, it just wasn't great. It wasn't great. And that showed by the second goal as well, which is an absolute shambles. And it sparked a bit of a domestic between me and you in the away end about who was at fault for it. I think uh, De Bruyne plays a nice ball through and Chambers sorts of fall out. He, he, he falls over and it comes off his head. And Martinez is in absolutely no man's land. Haaland picks it up and uh, crosses it to Gundogan. And I think Ashley Young is a little bit at fault as well because he falls asleep. And I'm just sick of watching Gundogan score at the back stick because it was a similar sort of goal um, that he scored in the, in the 3-2 defeat last game of last season wasn't it but that goal again defensively shambles and it's seven goals conceded now in, in, in one and a half games really I said that to you yesterday at half time like in the Etihad it's like it's it's not good enough is it it's seven in a game and a half and most of them been pretty horrific goals no team at the moment is having to work hard to score a goal against us and I think that's yeah. what that's the most disappointing part and yeah the second goal again you know Chambers he looked like he panicked. He looked like he was panicking all first half, if you ask me. Every time he got anywhere near it, he looked like he was worried about he was going to lose the ball or make an error. Um, and it showed, really. And obviously, yeah, he, he, I think he slipped in there and he got his head to it. Um, and I think my my point of view was that, you know, it wasn't, it was quite far out. And I, and I, I get it from the point of view that Martinez, you know, felt like he could have come out and, and got that ball. But to me, it, it made us it made us a bit more frantic, to be honest with you, when Martinez did run out and all of a sudden it left like gaps in the middle because we were trying to cover the gaps that Martinez had left and then obviously we ended up conceding the goal. And so I've enjoyed a joint effort, to be honest with you, between for me, between Chambers and Martinez. I don't I, don't, I think looking back, I think Martinez would probably would probably have said, Oh well, I should have stayed on my line a little, uh, to, to be honest. And I think you I'm not saying you avoid the goal 100%, but I think you've got a better chance at, at the ball not going in the net if you're just staying. But overall, it just wasn't it wasn't, um, a, it wasn't a good goal to concede at all. And that's the thing. You don't mind if a team scores like a great goal against you. You don't mind. Mm-hmm. You, you hold your hands up and say, well, fair enough. But it was, again, it's such a poor goal to concede. You cannot give away goals against, I know it's a cliche, against anyone, but against Man City, you just absolutely, you're asking for trouble, aren't you? You're asking for trouble. And my argument at the time was, 
you know, if, if Chambers leaves that, I think Martinez is probably favourite against Haaland to get there. But yes, he has come a long way and Chambers is there. It's not like there's no defenders at all. So I think you can probably have a go at both of them, to be fair. And like I said, Ashley Young is asleep at the back stick. But yeah, 2-0, it, it's pretty much game over. And to even rub salt into the wounds, the Grealish dive slash penalty slash whatever you want to call it, yeah, it starts off by them walking far too easily through us. I think, you know, I'm not sure. I think it was Bernardo Silva that played it through to Grealish and Ramsey actually tries to get out of the way. Was there a touch? It doesn't look like it, but we've seen it a million times for Villa, for Man City. Grealish clips the back of his own leg and his arms fly up and we know the rest. It's theatrical, it's soft, but we've seen it a million times with him. We know what's happening. And um, we went on Twitter and stuff at halftime and everyone was saying it's soft. There's absolutely no way that's a penalty for him to do that against Villa. Not that it really matters because I get that he's employed by Man City. It's just, it's frustrating. And for me, it's incredibly, incredibly soft. I just, I I think for me, it's just, I've watched it. I've watched it now so many times and I still, I still can't see where, where on earth it's a, it's a foul. I really can't see it. Some people are saying that there was a slight touch from Ramsey, which made Grealish basically trip himself up, apparently. Um, I just think it was so soft. And I, and I think for me, it's that if that was up the other end and say Leon Bailey was running through. No way. Would Villa have got that? And that nope. and that's and that's my argument. And then uh, there's, there's been people as well, very sort of overanalyzing it, you know, really zooming in on clips and watching them a hundred times again. You know, th- this is exactly where, where the touch was. And I think if you're really overanalyzing these fouls, are they really fouls? If you're having to really overanalyze them constantly mm. like that, I, to me, that's that's not a foul. Then It's not a clear and obvious foul. It's definitely not a foul then. It cuts deeper that it was Jack Grealish who did it. And um, yeah. and it's, and it's yeah, it's the fact that, I, 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 you know, I get it. People were comparing it to the, Ashley Young, one of the other of a good few years ago for Man United, but I said my argument was, well, Ashley Young was never never claimed to be a boyhood Villa fan or a, or, or whatever. He 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 was just just doing a job for Aston Villa and just doing a job for Man United, etc. Not that that's right, by the way. I don't think diving or simulation, whatever you want to call it, is never right, and it's an absolute. It's a problem we've got in our in our in our game without a doubt. And I think the problem spread to fans though, who just now say, "Oh, it's part and parcel of football." And I'm like, "Well, it shouldn't be part and parcel of football though." And only because it's only because the officials allow it though. Like I don't know. Do you remember? Do you remember like it was years ago now that there was a sort of short spell where you know players would re- retrospectively get banned or, or you know fined for fouls that literally lasted a few months. If you implement something like that, it will stop it. It's really not hard. If yeah. you implement something like fines or fouls or ban this player for three games or you know you know go to the monitor for send them i don't know what but just enforce something and it will stop players doing it because people say it's part and parcel but that is only because it's allowed and people can get away with it as long as you can get away with it it's going to continue to happen the, the, the thing is, I'm not even saying yesterday's was an incredible dive. I'm not saying it was like one of the worst dives I've, I've ever seen. But I think Jack Grealish knows that that penalty was soft. And I just I just think that the referee and the, official, the other officials on VAR need to, be, need to be stronger and say, it's not a foul, and get on with the game. I'm not even saying it was a dive or a simulation, whatever you want to call it. I'm not even going to say that. But it's just the fact for me that I can't believe that was a penalty. I mean, can you not get anywhere near anybody anymore like, to, even, to, to even try and make a tackle or to even try and make a block is that is that what what we're really coming to like over analyzing replays 100 200 times to, to to find like a slight nick that someone might have had on someone's boots you know for them to for them to go over theatrically to win a penalty it just doesn't make sense for me and then people are saying oh well it's just exactly what Greenish did 
for Villa, and I, and I think I don't think it was though because when I, I'm I'm thinking back and what when I, when we when we watched Greenish at Villa, they used to just get absolutely battered every single time by by teams, yeah. clattered all the time. I remember remember that constantly. We were always worried that he was going to be injured because of all the. All, all the and tackles he was. He, yeah. he was always injured. But we were always worried about that because of all the tackles he used to receive on him. And I think mm. the times when he he did sim, he did simulate and he did dive. Um, but those times when he did do that, he, he was booked by the referee and, yeah. and, no, and no penalty was given. I'm thinking of, I'm just thinking of a prime example, the Crystal Palace one in lockdown where he theatrically oh. went, o- went over. And But Villa didn't get a penalty for it. You know, it was it was a free kick the other way, and Jack Grealish was yellow carded. And then I think about a few years before that against West Brom in the um, quarterfinal yeah. of the FA Cup at Villa Park, he was sent off double yellow card. He was sent off. I don't buy into this whole "well he did it for Villa" and you weren't moaning then because, well, I I, I don't think that was the case. I don't think any. I don't think. Well, I, I I certainly wasn't like this. I don't think I was there praising mm. Jack Grealish for simulating. Look, I, I was just disappointed. I was just disappointed overall that. I, I'm disappointed anyway when when anything happens like that when a penalty gets given against you for something I don't think is a penalty I'm always disappointed and then coming from Jack it just made it probably hurt that little bit more and people could say oh well that's really sentimental and you need to get a grip and move on well, maybe maybe that's correct it just cut that little bit deeper for me and um, I'm still I've watched the replay so many times and I'm afraid I'll have to agree to disagree with, with a few people on it because I, I, I really don't think it was a penalty I don't think it's the, the clearest dive you're ever likely to see but I don't really think that's the point I think that the standard of refereeing in general this weekend has, has been dire to people forgetting to draw lines to apologising to multiple clubs in one weekend for forgetting to do something or missing something it's like in any other walk of life, if you fail to do your job over and over again, you get you get punished, you get sacked, you get all all this that, and the other. And I think was it the Brentford one where they they got apologised to for, for missing an offside, forget to draw a line. That's mental, you know. Like you, they, they, in the lead up to games, that you see these rooms where there's like fifteen of them stood in a room and they've got countless screens. How how does that happen? How do you miss something? Like I, people talk about VAR, and we were talking about it the other day to each other. VAR is not the problem; it's the people that are operating it because they are absolutely hopeless. They are continue they continue to be walkovers. These officials look at rugby. I don't like rugby, but I, I watch it occasionally. The referees, the players actually respect them, and you can hear what they're saying. And it's so much better. The video replays better. You can they they communicate better. It's not hard, is it? It's really, really not hard to implement. And I don't know why it's taking so long to do. Like people, you hear about it in the news. Like, oh, they're thinking about miking referees up and interviewing them after games. I don't really don't really get the interview after games. I don't really care about that. Just mic them up. Let's hear what's going on. Communicate it in the stands. Do what you have to do. Just make it easier. It is so easy to do. And I don't know why football doesn't take a leaf out of other sports books. It's it's really, really frustrating. But I don't I don't think I'll ever do that though. And I think the reason the reason for it for me is that That'll that'll show supporters and people watching it how how the players sort of bend the rules and how the players are constantly in the ears of the referees and don't respect referees really and then referees sort of cave in and make decisions which they probably weren't going to unless they had that pressure put on them. I think that's what you'd hear if I'm being totally honest. I don't I don't think there's any yeah. respect there. I mean, Greenish went over yesterday and you you saw you saw as soon as he did it, he turns around and he's absolutely screaming at the referee like like he knows that it's an absolute like stone wall penalty. When if you asked Jack Greenish and sat him down today, I can guarantee you would say, do you know what? It was really soft, wasn't it? 
But then he's there screaming at the referees, surrounding the referee, and then the referee's sort of like backed into that corner, and they're only human. They're sort of backed into that corner, and I just don't think there's any respect. I don't think there's any respect towards nope. the officials, and I think that's part of the problem. It's like, and it's a it's a problem at all levels of English football, though. I, you know, you hear all these reports constantly about uh, even at grassroots level where you know referees are being like verbally and physically abused and stuff like that, and and it also that's only because what people can see in these top leagues, though. Yeah, exactly. It all rubs off, and kids watching it, they're looking at their like idols and heroes yep. and looking at it thinking oh that's acceptable for, for them to do it so I'll do it as well and mm-hmm. I think it goes right from grassroots it's that we don't we don't have people who want to be referees anymore for certain reasons um, and then the people at the top unfortunately who um, I think Mike Riley was, was leading it he's, he's, he's now gone I believe at the top of the referees association but their sort of development has not continued and we've now ended up with you know a sort of lineup of referees who a lot of them aren't good enough really aren't good enough and then they're the ones who are also doing VAR as well and so you sort of can sort of start you start to put the jigsaw puzzles together and sort of work out well how are these VAR decisions you know being overlooked how are they not being made correctly and it sort of stares you in the face if you've got a poor level of officiating on the field you're going to have it off the field in VAR as well aren't you no and that that's another thing it, it, a lot of the time not all the time it depends what colour shirt the player's wearing unfortunately or what stadium you're playing in and it's the most frustrating thing in the world and it is a football wide problem and it's it's not great and it seems to keep on happening every weekend you'll have articles about this happening that happening but you know people forget that and then the same thing happens the weekend after and it's it's nothing's changing and it's frustrating but we'll move on from that I think the first half against Man City was just really not good enough and I think it was it was simply the worst half we've seen under Emery however I do think the second half was much better I think at halftime you were talking about you know why has there not been any subs yet I think the subs you made on the hour mark with Duran, Moreno, McGinn coming on once they changed the game because I think the game was gone uh, Man City took their foot off the gas a little bit but I like those changes Duran, Moreno, McGinn made a slight difference didn't it because we were better and I'd add Coutinho to that one as well because I thought he was um, yeah. I thought he was very good to be fair to him they got us on the front foot a little bit didn't they I think McGinn sort of tenacity midfield sort of uh, helped us if I'm being honest and I think he need, I, he needs to be starting for me at the moment McGinn I think he needs to come back in definitely who for? you know JJ's just come back from an injury himself and I just mm. think he probably needs to be taken out the firing line at the moment possibly I, I think I think McGinn needs to come back in I, I watched him yeah, when he came on yesterday, I just thought we sort of need we sort of needed that, um, and so he'd he'd be, he'd be back in for me, and then you and then that fallback, yeah, Moreno at the moment, he's just that bit quicker, isn't he? He's that bit quicker, and he's he's you know he can get forward a lot better than what Dino can, and I just again at the moment I think that he he probably deserves the shirt at the moment, Moreno, and then Duran, yeah, Duran. Again, really lively performance. You know, mm. we, not not a lot of times. So he can't make a massive like judgment on him, but he was involved, wasn't he? he got himself involved, and he's he's raw. You can see he's raw. Um, and you know, he he, he tried to have that shot from absent miles out, didn't he? Which oh, he, that was awful. <laughs> and so you can see, like, you can see he's young, and you can see he's quite raw, and he's he's not. I'm not expecting him to become, you know, something absolutely incredible the next season or so. But he's got potential and he's got that willingness, hasn't he? And that sort of, yeah. sort of that mentality where he doesn't really—he's not fearful, is he? You know, you can tell he's young. He's not very fearful, and he almost scored one of the, what would be one of the goals of the season with that uh, with that. I mean, that was incredible. That was that shot. And so, yeah, he was really positive. And for me, he's, he's sort of pushing to start. I think I genuinely think he's pushing to pushing to start at the moment, which which is incredible to think he's only a young lad that's come in a couple of weeks ago. And yet here we are. We're saying that 
you know, he's, he's a contender to, to start now. He's got that fire, hasn't he? He's got that hunger and you can mm. see that he wants it. And it's kind of, I can't remember the last time, like, obviously you get players coming into your club that you know, like, not a lot about. I mean, look at Moreno, we didn't know too much about him. But I just think Duran is that that different level because he's such an unknown, isn't he? Like, it's it's bizarre, but it is it is nice and it is a little bit fresh to have that. But that effort, like you said, it would have been goal of the season. Like, the power on it, I think it's even gone past Edison before he's even realised. Like, he takes it really early as well. It's actually a really good effort. And I would have loved to have seen that gone in. I really would. Obviously, it would have meant nothing in the context of the game, realistically. But if that goes in, we're absolutely loving it and I really would have liked to see to see it go in but yeah fair play Duran didn't do a, a fat lot but he was he was good and you can see that he's lively there and there's a player in there for sure and uh, he was involved in that goal that we scored I think Louise and Duran sort of combined to win the ball back uh, Louise plays it through to Watkins and it's three and three for Watkins now by the way I think he's probably been probably the best player under Emery and again though one chance, one goal, and it's a clinical finish. I think same in the Southampton game. Didn't have too many chances, but he gets that one chance. And it's a proper striker's goal, the Southampton goal. This goal, really nice finish. Striker's goal, lovely to see. It's been quite clever from Emery, really. I mean, in January when uh, Ings was sold, he he kind of put that pressure on Watkins, but also put that confidence in him as well, though, like by saying, you know, Ali's our, our number nine, Ali's our main striker, and, you know, Duran's not going to come in and, um, and, you know, start. And so... Ollie Watkins is our man and we trust him. Um, I think that's given a big boost to Watkins. And I think we've said all along that he, he's a confidence player. He thrives mm. off that confidence. And um, to be fair to the manager, I think he's given Watkins that. And at the moment, he's playing really well. It's his all-round game. He's playing well, though, as well. I mean, even his... It was his flick on for... For Duran shot at the end as well, and so if that had gone in, it would have been it would have gone down as Watkins' assist as well, and so he's getting himself involved so much in terms of goal contributions all the time and and opportunity creations all the time. He's he's, he's getting himself involved in that, and um and yeah, fair play to him. A long mate continues. He's on a he's on a good little run of form at the moment, and um is again he's another important player for Villa and uh, one that I know that has been some criticism and some fairly at times in terms of his finishing. Um, but he's an important player for Villa and um, yeah, he's he's in, he's in really good form at the moment. Yeah, I think he is probably one of our most important players without doubt. I think in the whole of the second half, there was a lot more chasing down, getting in their faces and against a side like Man City. And admittedly, they took their foot off the gas. Of course they did. They were 3-0 up at half time, but don't allow them to play pretty football. Leave a few niggles on them, you know, leave a few nasty challenges on them because as much as people think they're a wonderful footballing team, which they are, they do, they do it as well though. They, they know how to, you know, leave nasty fouls on people and just get in people's faces and make things happen like that. I just think second half, we were much better. And it's just frustrating that we didn't do that from the off, unfortunately. And you talked about Coutinho coming on, came on with about 15 to go, I think it was. He was very lively. And I think in the last sort of three or four, he's come on and looked bright. And I think 100%, He's pushing for a start and I expect to see changes against Arsenal. Coutinho probably to come in for me. Moreno, McGinn. Um, I think you, you, you've got to have those lads coming in because I think they're pushing for a start and I think you've got to have that sort of mindset of if you're not playing the best, you've got players really pushing you for a start. So I think Coutinho for sure. Would you start him against Arsenal? Because I think I probably would. Do you know what? I have a feeling he might do something a little bit different against Arsenal. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Buendia and Coutinho start. Like you, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see sort of Buendia in that position where Bailey is, if I'm being honest with you. Um, do you think Bailey needs to come out? Because I, again, I thought disappointing against Man City. And I, I've said it a few times, I, I rate Leon Bailey and I think he's, he's contributed quite quite well this season but for me he's a typical he's a typical winger you know again he's he's a confidence player really and when he's Mm -hmm. on form he's really on form but when he when he's when he's not he's really out of the game and I think he's going through that little spell at the moment so for me I probably would look at 
bringing him onto the bench on Saturday against Arsenal, to be honest with you. And um, yeah, I have a little feeling he might bring Coutinho in, but keep Wendy in there as well and uh, shift Wendy into that sort of uh, ba- Bailey position. He did that, if you remember, against Spurs away. Um, even though Bailey played, Bailey was a little bit, um, he was a bit deeper that day. And Buendia played in that sort of advanced role, so I wouldn't be a hundred. I wouldn't be that surprised if 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 he didn't do that on, on Saturday. Um, I don't think he'll start Duran. I know people are calling for it. I don't think he'll start him, and I, that's just taking it from his comments about you know he he you know he can't put too much pressure on him. He's only young, etc. Yeah. I don't expect him to start if I'm being honest. Um, and the thing is, we could see you know if he get him back on form, he's such a good player, and I think he showed yeah. that yesterday. And we were talking over the weekend saying we can't believe he's only thirty because the way some Villa fans talk about him and to be fair the same with us like we talk about him like he's 33 34 and he's really at the end of his career and he's not really he's at that sort of he's at that sort of like peak age isn't he really where you where you'd expect to get the very best out of him so if Emery could somehow extract that quality out of him we've still got such a good player on our hands well if you take what we've seen from him in the last few games I think without doubt that player is 100% still there he had a really good effort didn't he um, sort of towards the end of the game he had that effort really far out sort of yeah. looping dipping actually he's a really good save I yeah. didn't realise it at the time but it's a re- really really good save from Edison obviously yeah. he goes out for a corner but I just I just forgot it was a save and he did that countless times against Stevenage that was horrific but if we, we I think once he gets that goal I think we, we can see that player again because he was so so disappointed with that disallowed goal against Leicester wasn't mm-hmm. it like yeah. you could just see how much that would have meant to him should you have got that goal and get that confidence flowing again um Buendia and Coutinho obviously played together a little bit in that second half against Leicester but yeah I can call I can, I can see what you're saying I think there will be changes somewhere along the way against Arsenal but I think in this game going back to the Man City game sorry the Coutinho Moreno McGinn they were playing some nice little triangles especially down that left-hand side weren't they and I think we were a little bit unlucky not to get that second goal Moreno obviously bursting through I think he crosses it uh Edison does well so it's a claim one or two of them but yeah we, we were playing some okay stuff at times weren't we and I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't get the second because I think it would have made the sort of last five ten minutes that little bit more taster yeah I think I thought we did well second half I really did and I know some people yeah some people will say that yeah Man City weren't full throttle and I think Emery even said that himself and that's fair enough but you can only play what's in front of you can't you and so I thought second half we were a lot better we looked a lot more organized I think Kamara and Louise sort of broke the play up a lot better than they did in the first half um and obviously the added pace and Moreno sort of got us up the pitch a little bit a little bit more and then Coutinho used the ball quite well I thought um and then John and John McGinn sort of he was buzzing around wasn't he and he was very involved John McGinn and that's what he sort of brings you as well and so yeah he was a lot better the second half and um you're right I felt like we just probably deserved that second goal to to sort of make things interesting yeah it was a bit frustrating really because we, we did perform a lot better second half and if we had got that second goal as you say it would have made that final spell interesting but yeah it wasn't to be but I was just glad that we didn't you know come out and and, and play exactly the same I think Emery said at half time that the conversation was look what's happened's happened we need to go out second half and play our game and try and win the second half and that's what we did we, we did do that in the second half um, and so you know we came out of it with a 3-1 rather than a a 6-7, which it could have been. It could have easily been that if we'd have come out and played the same as the first half. And so credit to the players, I suppose, and credit to the manager for for, for recognising that and sorting that out um, because on another day it could have been a lot more. Yeah, look, Emery's still learning. Of course he is. He's still learning about this squad. It's still, in the grand scheme of things, still very early days. So he would have learned a lot from Man City, I think, without doubt. And going into the closing stages of the game, it was just, it, yeah, it, it, was, it was kind of gone, but it was encouraging, without doubt. There was a little push on Conser as well. Did you notice that? 
I think I was a little bit frustrated with that one talking about referees again. I think anywhere else on the pitch, it's a foul. And I think it's the, if it's the other way around, it's a foul. So again, it just goes back to the inconsistencies. And it's just one of them where you're not even shocked to see it anymore, are you? Because for me, it, it's, it's probably a foul, isn't it? We should have had a penalty. Yeah, I, I, I think so. It was up our end. And um, as soon as it happened, we were all sort of appealing for it. And people, some people might say it was soft, but... Well, what's the what's the difference with the the penalty? Most for, of the these days, most of the penalties. Penalty first half was incredibly soft. There was hardly a touch on him, and yet Konza was shoved in the back as he was trying to get up to win the header, and the referee just didn't even didn't even move. Did he? The referee didn't. wasn't asked. Um, no, of course he wasn't. Um, it's it's that it's it's those frustrations, and people it might come across as we've been really bitter and you know saying refereeing decisions cost us the match. And I don't, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not no. saying it, but you want to you know you want to see some consistency, and you want to see a decent level of officiating and. At times yesterday that just wasn't there we're not jealous of man city and everything that's going on there if you've watched the video on on the villa on tour youtube channel you'd know that there was a bit of back and forth between the two sets of fans in terms of us constantly singing about have you won the european cup and obviously it was the same on the last day last season everyone having those inflatable european cups and it's not us well it is us obviously living in the past and all that and you know it's basically just winding them up isn't it and what did you make of the away end and the back and forth yesterday because i thought it was lively and i think some of the things the man city fans were doing was quite frankly bizarre in terms of booing the Premier League anthem, I thought that was weird. They've not, they've done it before and like booing the um, UEFA anthem in the in the Champions League. Weird singing. I don't want to swear on the on the podcast, but like f the Premier League as well. Weird. Uh, we'll cheat when we want. Weird. I I just don't I don't understand it, and I don't understand how a fan base can embrace clearly breaking. I mean, we talked about it in the last podcast. I don't want to go over it again, but clearly embrace being a horrible club and breaking all of these rules. I, I just don't get it. And you were right yesterday when you said to me, I never want to be a club like this. From outside the ground, what's going on, inside the ground, on the pitch, behind the scenes at Man City, never, ever want to be that club, ever. And I don't want to sound jealous, but it's true. Uh, yeah, I think any fan standing there sort of singing about, gloating about them cheating is, quite frankly, absolutely ridiculous, if I'm being honest. And... um I think they probably feel targeted in a way. I think they probably feel like they're the victims and that they're targeted, that, oh, you know, it's unjust and they shouldn't have been targeting this way. And But the one thing I'll say is that this, this, independent, this independent investigation will run its course and obviously the wrongdoing will, will come out in the wash. And uh, the Premier League doesn't run a four-year investigation on you to come out with over 100 charges if you've done absolutely nothing wrong. It's, it's, it's futile. They wouldn't spend the time doing that, would they? And I think for... Football supporters to be standing there and singing about, you know, gloating about cheating and financial irregularity and stuff. I find it quite baffling, if you ask me. And it's not something I'd be getting involved in if it was Villa. If, if it was Villa that were being investigated for over a hundred charges, then I'd feel quite embarrassed in a way. If I'm being honest with you, I feel, I feel, I'd feel really sort of embarrassed that it was my club's name be, being dragged through the mud. And uh, I think the response in the last week has been absolutely crazy. Really, uh, even from the manager, even from Guardiola, he's been really sort of. He's not. I wouldn't even say he's been defiant. He's been very like he's been taking the mick a little bit, hasn't he? He's been talking about, oh, you know, if we go down, we'll have all this money, whatever, and it won't matter, and I'll still be here. And he's been talking. He's been he's been quite sort of patronising about it, really. And I think, oh, you yeah. know, like I say, it's not you're not being targeted because of some random reason, just because you're Man City. You're being targeted because there's obviously evidence that there's been some sort of wrongdoing somewhere. This is not a jealous thing at all. It genuinely isn't. Um, I just, I look at them and I just think that 
how I mean they were afraid. I said to you they were freeing up yesterday when when they were freeing up. I was looking around the ground, and they were it was the game, and they were going within three points of the top of the league against Arsenal with Arsenal to play this week as well. And so it was a massive, massive. It was going to be a massive win for Man City yesterday. They were freeing up at half time, and the place was like dead wasn't it in that second half it was absolutely dead and I, we, we talk about the atmosphere at Villa Park but oh my god I, I couldn't believe how dead it was yesterday at the Etihad I genuinely couldn't and then you get the usual people just walking out with 10 minutes to go the home yeah. fans like, and you're thinking what, what's going on here like I just maybe it's just that they're so used to winning all the time I don't know but when you talk about the old you know the old Man City at Main Road with all their really sort of old diehard hardcore supporters and you look at some of them there and like I said maybe it is because they're that used to winning that that's just what they do now but I was looking around thinking I'd I would hate this I would I'd love the winning side of it but I'd hate us to lose our sort of you know our sort of focus and our sort of identity as a a club and our sort of our heritage and everything that everything that makes you proud to be a sort of Aston Villa supporter if that if we'd lost that as it felt like yesterday especially with those chants and everything else that was going on I just, I, I, I would absolutely despise that if I'm being honest. And it's not you talk about, oh, you know, because they might be used to winning. But as, as a match going fan, it's not, it's not always about that, is it? You, you know, you want to have a laugh and you want to, you know, have a drink with your mates before, and you want to have that sort of. I know we always moan about oh, it's always a roller coaster being an Aston Villa fan, but I, I, I like that. I like that. And yeah, it'll be, of course, it'll be fun watching your your club winning trophies constantly. But if it gets, I made a point of it yesterday in my video where. I left in all the shots of me panning around the stadium and zooming in on all the fans leaving, you know, on, on 85 minutes because it's just, it's a different world, isn't it? It's a different world. And I cannot imagine Villa getting to that place. And if they ever did, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't like it. Of course, you'd love the winning stuff, of course. But the identity of the club just completely disappearing in the last sort of decade, decade and a half. It's bizarre, and I'm, I just can't get on board with it. And that's why I want probably Arsenal to win the league. Not that I realistically care, but yeah, it's 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 a weird, weird thing with Man City, isn't it? From top to bottom, realistically, it is. And I think you just hit the nail on top of the head. It wouldn't. And I'd love the winning. I just wouldn't love all the other stuff that comes alongside it. And so, I mean, let, let let's just see what this investigation comes out with. You know, this independent investigation. I'm sure that there's there's going to be some wrongdoing. Whether it'll be the level that we think it's going to be, maybe not. I'm just as I said in the last podcast, City will have very good, expensive lawyers on their on their behalf. And so, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, you know, maybe maybe they won't get. The, the heavy sort of treatments that are being sort of bandied around, which no, they probably won't. But there's abs- there's no chance they're going to come out with absolutely no wrongdoing whatsoever. It's it's not going to happen. Well, hopefully there's a bit of justice, and uh, yeah, we we get to see what probably Man City deserve. But we we shall see on that. I don't think it'll be any time soon either. I think we'll probably have to wait at least a couple of years to see what happens but as long as justice is served that's it so yeah thank you very much for listening to this podcast um go and watch the man city vlog on the channel if you haven't already thank you for your continued support on the channel and of course the podcast as well please do subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to so you never miss an episode whether that's apple spotify leave a review as well so it does actually help push the podcast out there a little bit more without further ado we shall see you again uh for arsenal at villa park at the weekend up the villa.